Hello, this is Pastor Pete Beck III with LifeNet in Burlington, North Carolina. Welcome to today's podcast in the Amazing New Covenant series entitled, What is Sanctification? In my previous article, I wrote about the eternal reality of justification, which is the foundation and beginning of our great salvation. If you've not yet read it, Please do so before going any further. It will help you make sense of this article about how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the ongoing work of grace called sanctification or transformation. The Apostle Paul made a very interesting statement regarding salvation and hope. This is found in Romans 8, 18 through 25, which I will read. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. That's from the New American Standard Bible. I quoted the entire passage, but the key verse for my purposes is number 24, in hope we have been saved. Paul argues that even though we have been declared righteous in the court of heaven and have complete confidence that God will keep his promise to raise us from the dead one day, we are still waiting to see the completion of what God began. Philippians 1.6 says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you and me will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Even though Christ already completed the perfect work of justification, as I wrote in my previous article, and we are sure that God will certainly finish what he has begun at the resurrection, we are still waiting in confident expectation to see it and experience it, which, by the way, is the actual definition of hope. This is what it means to hope. We confidently wait for what God has promised, knowing 
that he will keep his word. In the above passage, our hope is the resurrection of the body at Christ's second coming at the end of time. At that point, all of creation will be recreated, producing what John the Revelator called a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1. However, being saved in hope also refers to the present ongoing process of our being sanctified or transformed into Christ's image and how we think, speak, and act as we continue to live in this space-time continuum called everyday life. Even though justification is a once-for-all completed work, and our glorification will also be once and for all at the resurrection, the transformative effects of God's grace are being worked out in our lives on a daily basis. Hebrews 10 verses 14 through 16 says it like this, for by a single offering, he has perfected, that's past tense, in the past, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's the present tense. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and write them on their minds. That's from the English Standard Version. Justified people who have been declared righteous, perfected in God's sight are still undergoing a transformation process orchestrated by the Holy Spirit through grace, by faith, in an atmosphere of the fear of the Lord. God is actively writing his laws, his heart, his mind upon our hearts and minds. We are becoming more and more like Jesus in how we think, speak, and act as we allow the Holy Spirit to live the Christ life in and through us. What if we had no way to measure our spiritual status or progress? How would we know how we're doing in God's sight? Would we be able to feel good about ourselves? Imagine if there were no way to grade ourselves spiritually. Are we passing, failing, acing it? barely squeaking by, or in danger of getting an incomplete for not showing up at all. I have a friend who would often ask me and others, are you doing enough? It was done in good humor to try to point out that we cannot know if we're doing enough. Most people labor under the presumption that they are not. They don't know what actually constitutes being good enough, but they are sure that they're not there. How do they know this? This takes us back to the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned in shame, they hid themselves from God, having become aware of their nakedness, which previously was a non-issue. 
or had not been evident for some reason. God asked them a telling question. Who told you that you're naked? Genesis 3:11. They should not even have known of their condition. So God knew that someone, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, surely told them. Sin exposed their nakedness, which had previously been a non-issue. Some think they had been clothed by God, the glory of God, which was at that point gone. Regardless, when Jesus died and rose again for us, those of us who believe in him put on the garments of righteousness through being justified. Isaiah 61.10 and Galatians 3.27, which restored us to the Edenic bliss of not needing to know, care, or otherwise busy ourselves with trying to be good enough and acceptable in God's sight. Since Jesus was good enough, we don't have to be. In fact, it is a dead-end street for us to even go down that road of trying to do enough to be good enough. The process of transformation is a mystery of grace, which does not operate according to the natural processes with which we are all familiar. It is a supernatural work of grace. It does not happen because we try very hard to live perfect lives. Quite the contrary. When we focus on sin management, trying very hard to control our sinful urges and ways, we actually heighten sin's power in our lives. 1 Corinthians 15:56 says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. This is because we are transformed into that on which we focus. If we fix our gaze on our own sinfulness, it gets the upper hand in our lives. Bitter people become just like the one they hate because they are mesmerized by the offense and think about it continually. When we think about how hard it is to resist temptation, we maximize temptation's power. Trying to oversee our own spiritual transformation is a hopeless endeavor. God promises that we will fail. And this is because the law has no power at all to transform us. Trying to perfect ourselves is self-effort and a form of legalism. Can we trust God to do what we cannot do? The law's function is to point out how sinful we are and condemn us for transgressions, thus revealing to us our utter and complete need for a savior. The law is a harsh taskmaster who castigates us when we fall short, but refuses to lift a finger to help. Paul wrote, that the law actually arouses our sinfulness. It exposes our ugly rebellion against God. Romans 7, 7 through 11 clearly points this out. Perhaps you have honestly tried to rein in sin and temptation in an effort to be more holy. 
I guarantee that you eventually failed miserably. God has ordained failure for our every attempt to attain sanctification and holiness by our own strength and on our own terms. Adam's sin was trying to live independently from God. We dare not attempt the same folly, even when it is done in a noble enterprise. Sanctification is a work of the Spirit by grace in which we cooperate. The sooner we learn how to follow the Spirit's lead, the better. Let's talk about this new and living way. I'll start by reading Galatians 3, 21 through 24. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. God designed the law to illustrate his righteousness, point out our sinfulness, and lead us to Christ. The Greek word for tutor is pedagogos, which was a servant who escorted his master's child to school to leave him or her with the instructor. The pedagogos was not the goal of the trip, but the means. The law is not our goal. It is the means God uses to bring us to Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, Romans 10, 4. Once we come to Christ, we no longer need the law. Its power to condemn us is removed. We are now joined to our new master and husband, Jesus, the Lord. Living by grace is called a new and living way, Hebrews 10.20, John 14.6, in which we are wholly dependent upon God's living his life through us, not on our own futile efforts. Romans 7.6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now let's talk about how transformation takes place through union with Christ and beholding Him. Romans 7, 4 through 6 says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might be, bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in 
newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Rather than being ruled by an inherited inner rebellion against God, which was or is ignited by the law's prohibitions, the spiritual transformation process begins with justification and the new birth, the subject of my previous articles in this series. God replaces the rebellious heart with a new one that loves to please God. We are joined or married to God in the spirit. His life in us replaces the old man inherited from Adam that formerly dominated us. Once this happens through the new birth, we are entirely capable of living for God as long as we do it God's way. If we try to accomplish it on our own, the law's power re-engages the sinful tendencies of what the Bible calls the flesh, which is a sinful residual connection through our yet-to-be-resurrected bodies to the Adamic condition. You can read more about that by clicking on the following link, the previous article or two articles ago, actually. Real transformation takes place when we follow the Spirit's lead to become worshipers of God. Listen to that again. Real transformation takes place when we follow the Spirit's lead to become worshipers of God. By focusing on our Lord and Savior and beholding His love and glory, We are silently and seamlessly changed, often without our even being aware. God removes us from the treadmill of trying to be good enough. He takes away every report card of how we're doing and tells us to forget all that and focus on him, his promises, his grace, and his glory. He helps us to stop fighting against and complaining of our situation. He helps us to humbly surrender everything to God in worship. If we do that, the Holy Spirit will live his life through us and transform us into his image. Second Corinthians 3.18 will be the verse I use to conclude this article. It reads, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Think about that for a while. God bless you.